we could all reach our hand out at night and say goodnight and kind of touch each other's hands. I think we have this misconception that kids need this space and they need this kind of air. And maybe because as adults, we might need a little more space than children do. But ours have really enjoyed the small, tight spaces that we've lived in. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 158 with Jessica and Will Swero. One of the best ways to spend time as a family is traveling full-time. Traveling together can be fun, interesting, and educational for your kids too, but it can also be difficult. My guests today are Jessica and Will Swero. And they are two parents who have done it successfully. They left the American rat race in 2014 and haven't looked back. In this interview, we'll get into the nitty gritty details of full-time travel as a family, from health insurance and medical care to homeschooling and finding friends. I hope you stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny house decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing, tiny house decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. I am here with Jessica and Will Swero. Jessica and Will and their two teens, Avalon and Largo, left the American Rat Race in 2014 on a mission to adopt a more authentic lifestyle by traveling full-time. Since then, they have been educating their children globally, bonding deeper as a family, and making memories, all while focusing on the humanitarian side of travel and embracing the locals they meet along the way. During this time, they have found themselves hiking 580 miles for 44 days on the Camino Francis in Spain, motorhoming every country in Europe for three years, and most recently, buying a sailboat and learning to sail in the Mediterranean with the goal of circumnavigating this incredible earth. This power couple are voracious dream pursuers, never give uppers, and determined to live life to the fullest for all the years they have. Jessica and Will Suero, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. It's so great to be here. Yeah, it's it's really great to have you. Um, so I was curious, um, what were you doing before 2014? And, you know, maybe you could tell us the story of kind of how this happened. Like, was it, was, did some event happen that caused you to be like, ah, screw it, we're going to do this? Or was it more of like a slow, like you've been thinking about it for a long time and you decided to do it? It definitely was a, a slow rise to the top on this thing. Because, a seven-year slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, back in back in 2007-ish, uh, would you say? Well, right? when I was pregnant with Larko. Yeah. Uh, we were we were we were finagled an opportunity yeah. to perhaps move overseas with the company I was working for. And and they came up and they said, you know, would you want to go ahead and move to Madrid? It sounds amazing you can have all your expenses paid your kids school education paid for answer was an absolute yes i mean who wouldn't want something like that yeah yeah you know we, we signed on the dotted line we we got ready to go and we we thought that we were sort of 100 percent locked in once we got there we realized that there were some i guess terms and conditions once we got there for the initial meeting before we actually moved there there were some things that they were uncomfortable with one of them being that i was pregnant and they were concerned I'd want to go back to the United States um, once I had the kids, the, the child. And it was our second child. So that kind of put a wrench in things. And they asked for some things that we felt were unreasonable. 
and we turned down the offer at that point. They, they asked me to actually go ahead and, and fly over to Madrid to start working and then leave me behind, leave her behind pregnant woman in her third trimester with um, a three-year-old. So, <laughs> you know, we made the conscious choice to say, maybe now's not the perfect timing, but Hey, if this one just came around and fell in our laps, maybe something else will fast forward seven more years and nothing else came into our laps. Things came and went and never came to fruition. And finally we said, you know, if we really want to do this, we're going to have to make it happen on our own. And that's kind of, that's kind of the short version of it. Um, travel was always something we wanted to do. Living abroad was always something that we wanted to do, but we didn't think, I mean, Will and I have always been really fiscally responsible. We didn't know anyone who worked on the road um, and was, and was frankly responsible and paying their bills and their taxes and taking care of their children and educate them, educating them, we didn't think it was possible. Once we learned that after much research and some disappointment with the expat packages falling through, once we learned this was possible and that people do this and live like this and live a wonderful life, that's when we said, okay, if other people can do this, or we'll say, if other people can do this, we can do it. And that's pretty much what we said. That's when we set the ball in motion. We gave ourselves 12 months to kind of sell everything, figure it out. Um, all the logistics, the schooling, the medical, the visas, and sell everything and then take off. Before that, we had we had a typical, I mean, we've always kind of been a little more eclectic, but we had what most would consider a typical American lifestyle. Will was a corporate guy. He traveled a lot for, for um, the company. I ran my own business from home. Our lives are overscheduled. We were a bit overextended time-wise and financially. And we were, I guess most people say we were living the American dream. We had a nice, comfortable life. We liked the kids' school. We liked our community. We liked our friends. We did not leave the United States to travel full-time because we hated our life or because there was something that happened, like a death in the family or something like that, that, that kind of awakened us. That was not our case. So it is often the case for many people that we meet out here traveling. And um, it's great to kind of have an epiphany, as long as you don't lose someone you love, of course and kind of take action on that dream. That was definitely not the situation for us. We had always wanted to travel. And finally, it was kind of time to bring that dream to fruition before we ran out of time. We wanted to travel with our kids, which was kind of the big caveat is that we didn't want to wait until we retired and go just the two of us. There's nothing wrong with that, but we wanted to see the world with our kids. And we wanted to focus on making memories and living on less and having experiences rather than consuming stuff and being overscheduled. Nice. Um... So yeah, I, I love that. And I, I actually am, you know, excited to kind of jump into those details with you around, around your kids. You know, this is a, a tiny house podcast and a big concern that I hear or, or questions that I hear from parents or would-be parents about tiny home living, especially when that is coupled with travel is just like, is it even possible? How do I do it? And so, you know, Let's jump into those details, like the medical, the school, that kind of stuff. Do you want to do you want to start? Do you want me to start by talking about the space and living in a small space together as a family? Because I think yeah. that is a big concern of a lot of people, I'm assuming. Particularly Americans. I don't know. Somewhere along the way, we were conditioned to think that, that children, um, everyone needs their own room and they need a lot of space. Mm-hmm. that's very much an American thing. It's not something we necessarily see across the globe as we travel. We see multiple kids sharing bedrooms. We've seen families where a kid will sleep in the living room. It's not uncommon to see four kids in a room together. So when we started out traveling, mm-hmm. initially we went, did slow travel and we had an apartment um, and our kids always shared a room. And then once we got in the RV, we were all in one small space together. They had bunk beds and we had a bed that came down from the ceiling. And some of the questions that we got were, well, how can that be good for the kids? They need their own space. They need their own this. They need their own that. And that was never, like our kids loved it. They loved being on a bunk bed, like right, they tip their head down or up to the other one. We could all reach our hand out like at night and say goodnight and kind of touch each other's hands. I think we have this misconception that kids need this space and they need this kind of air. And maybe because as adults, we might need a little more space than children do, Mm -hmm. but ours have really enjoyed the small, tight spaces that we've lived in. Now, in contrast to that, now that we're on a boat, they're teenagers now. We have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old, and it's a little bit different. Like They were quite happy to have their own cabin. It's still a very small space, but they have their own private space to go Mm -hmm. to. However, if for some reason we decided we're not going to do the boat anymore, they have both said that they would be fine 
with sharing a bedroom again. They don't want to share a bed. They're different gender and they don't want to share a bed, but they don't mind sharing a small space. They actually, they actually both quite prefer being in a small space and they said they'll never have a huge house. I think though a lot of the bigger reason is the reason why the kids did so well with, with sort of being the small space is because we started early. Now, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, everything is, is, a, is a byproduct of, you know, what you're conditioned to. And if you're conditioned to have your entire, you know, space to yourself and have this, you know, monster bedroom filled with all the, the, the wants and needs and desires that, you know, any, any, you know, I guess privileged Westerner would want, then, then that's sort of what you expect to have. But in our case, we left when our son was six and our daughter was 10. She just turned, just 10. turned 10. And, and when we left, there was always this, this seed in their head that we're going to be traveling all the time. And so when we left, they were always expecting us to live in smaller spaces because the, the way we pictured this entire lifestyle when, when they were growing up was that, you know, we're going to see incredible places, we're going to share small spaces and everything else. So once we took off, it was almost like, all right, you know, this is time to sort of live a little bit differently. And it was, it was just like totally just welcome. When we moved to Costa Rica, our first spot when we left the United States, <laughs> we had a, a two bedroom place. The, the intention was going to be that Jessica and I had one, one bedroom and then the other bedroom, which was kind of small, but had bunk beds. The kids were going to share that and that was going to be their own sort of like, you know, co-living space that was going to be sort of all their own. When we got there, the kids wanted nothing to do with other space and they wanted to share. It was a little creepy too. So we wound up having bunk beds and a, like a, and a, and a king size bed in, in one bedroom. And that's how we lived for our first year. And, and that set the tone for the rest of sort of our living, which we've been doing now for, you know, six plus years. And in Ecuador, we had a three bedroom place because it was the same price as the two bedroom place. We thought, oh, maybe they, they'll want their own space. And they ended up moving their beds into the same room. Oh. So they've, they, they're used to this and they like it. And it's not, you know, it's not an issue for them. So what you would you want to know about how we how we handle medical or schooling? Is that kind of the other question? Yeah. Yeah, the kind of logistics of of parenting that are kind of more no brainers when you're living the kind of standard American lifestyle. But then when you hit the road and it sounds like you've been to a lot of different places, too. So you have to kind of you have to refigure this out every every time you you move a little bit. I mean, the idea is that when we when we were setting off to go, we gave ourselves like Jessica said earlier, we gave ourselves a year to go ahead and figure this whole thing out. Mm -hmm. And there were back then very few resources available you know there were there were blog posts out there but and this is before anyone did anything on video yeah extensively so there's some blog posts out there but the blog posts the, the blog posts were primarily you know it's selling the the wonder and then the majesty of what it's like to go ahead and be living full-time and also written by part-time travelers they weren't people that were traveling full-time or people that right. were saying they were traveling full-time but were really it was just a job that they did a couple weeks every couple of months and went back to their home base. Right. So we, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot to go through. So we just had to, to grind it out on Google, you know, figure out, you know, <laughs> what are people using on Facebook groups? We had to ask people, you know, what are you guys using and so forth and so on. And we were able to, to mine out the essentials to get us out of the door. The, the, the primary thing is that we gave ourselves, you know, a date that we were leaving. So regardless of whether we were ready or not, we had tickets booked so we had to go and figure it out and lucky for us like the major things like the health insurance the um, schooling we found we found providers the schooling we found a place to send um, our child who was going to tra traditional school at the time and then and we also started homeschooling our daughter as we took off so imagine that sort of you're leaving to a foreign country where only one of you speaks the language and you're starting homeschooling for the first time you're sending your kid to a school to with the language that he only understands one of the languages being taught and, <laughs> and, and sort of we're, we're totally taking ourselves into a, a foreign country with, without jobs. Well, Jessica had a job. I had, I brought my business. She, with she took her business with her. Uh, I was, I was totally 100% and we had never, starting from scratch. And we had never visited the country before. So we didn't do kind of a test run. So there's a lot of anxiety going on here. Anxiety and sort of, and, and just like intrigue at the same time. But you know, it, we were, it was almost like, like, anticipation before we got there and then once we got there the anxiety just hit like like a thousand percent like oh my god what so we so medical is always a huge question right what we have learned and people we have met along the way many people will take off to go travel in another country or lives elsewhere and they won't even have medical insurance because the medical care outside the united states 
and that's our home birth country outside the U.S. is very, very affordable. Right. So there are many people that just pay as they go. That was not the case with us. We felt more comfortable having medical insurance. And so we have IMG Global Medical Insurance, and we have had IMG for the entirety of our travel. Of our tra- I think we just cut out a little bit. We have had IMG Global um, Medical Insurance for the entirety of our travel mm-hmm. time. And what we do is it's, 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 um, I think we pay around 4,000 a year for the four of us. Is that what we pay? Around there. And we, we have a huge deductible. We have a $5,000 deductible. So basically what happens is we pay um, most of the office. It doesn't cover our office visits unless we hit our deductible. So office visits outside the United States are anywhere between 20, the equivalent of 20 and 30 US dollars. And that's in several continents that we have spent time on. Dentist appointments are not that expensive. So we opted for a higher deductible so that we could pay a little bit less and we just pay out of pocket because all four of us are are relatively healthy. People are always freaked out about medical care outside of their home country. I, it is one of the first things we, we have a consulting business where we consult with people on the logistics of full-time travel. It is the number one or number two question of people or fear of people going to travel. It's medical care and finances. Always, they kind of flip-flop of which one is the, the scariest for people. I cannot say enough good things about how medical has been such a pleasant experience for us traveling and has been one of the things that we have worried and stressed about the least from a financial standpoint, from getting good medical care, from feeling comfortable in a country, from being able to communicate in the language. If we can't communicate in the language, there's always um, Google Translate. There's always someone there that's willing to help if you, can, if you can't figure it out. So from a logistics standpoint, the medical has not really been something that's been difficult for us. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be across the board. And we talk to other travelers as well. Like, I don't think we're not an isolated situation where it's been so s- seamless for us. And we've had, we've had some bigger things done. I mean, Will and I, for, you know, TMI here, but Will and I both had col- colonoscopies. I've, I've I had pre-cancer cells removed. We've had some dermatology stuff done. I mean, we've had, we've, we've had things done outside the U.S. that are not mm-hmm. just you know, just going for a well, well visit. And we've been very happy with the results. Right. You just have to be like anything else, you know, once you decide to live a little bit outside the norm, you have to be a little bit scrappy in terms of figuring out how to get there. You know, you can always find a doctor. The question is, uh, you know, who do you have to consult to get to the right doctor? Yeah. And sometimes that takes a little while. And, and, you know, that's just, you know, part of the course of sort of living in different places all the time. You know, you, we, we are, constantly in the process of resetting our, our routine. So part of the routine and anywhere you move is, you know, finding local doctors, et cetera. And we're just, it's like, all right, here we are now. Um, and it, was a little more, a doctor? it was a little more challenging when we were RVing because we were not in spaces for very long. So kind of our hack was that, okay, if we're going to need a dentist in the next two months, or I'm going to need my annual female visit, what country do we think we're going to be in? And then I would go to the local Facebook group, the expat Facebook group. And I would say, Hey, I need a gynecologist or we need a dentist. Who would you recommend? And then I'd make an appointment two months out. So there's a little bit of, of legwork involved, but it's not, it's not any different really than, it's a little more work than living a stationary life, but it's not overwhelming by any means. Okay. So one of the things that has always intimidated me about international travel is, is language. Um, kind of feeling like, um, I don't want to be that American who doesn't speak the language. Um, but then also obviously not wanting to be restricted to the countries where I can speak the language, which is English speaking countries and Spanish speaking countries. Um, sounds like you've been in countries that speak other language besides just English and Spanish. And I'm, I'm just curious, how, how do you approach language learning and, you know, how much do you try to learn and how much do you just get by on English? So our kids speak Spanish, French, and English fluently. Uh-huh. We'll speak Spanish and English fluently. And I'm Spanglishy in English. So that gets us by. You don't give yourself enough credit. Okay. I'm, I'm a little more Spanglishy. There you go. <laughs> I, I am the worst one in the family. Put it that way. Okay. Um, in most places, we can get by on those languages. Uh-huh. We try not to just go in speaking English, assuming that people are going to speak English. It's not even we try not. We do not do that. If someone says, oh, where are you from? And they start speaking English to us and they're willing to help us in English and, and we don't speak their local language, then 
we welcome it, but we don't, we never go with the assumption that they should speak English and what's wrong. You know, we, if we cannot communicate, we'll pull out Google Translate, we'll mime, we'll draw pictures, we'll ask someone next to us, maybe if they speak Spanish, French, or English, and they could translate. It's, it has not been an issue so far. And I don't know how many, I, I really, don't, I think, I, I don't keep track, but I think we're probably, the kids keep track, around 70 countries. Wow. And most of them we can get by. Japan was a little challenging. Our daughter speaks a little bit of Japanese, but Google Translate worked fine. And we have found that if you make an attempt in any country to try and speak their language or learn the basics, there's all kinds of free stuff out there where you can learn the basics before you go. Even please, thank you, we'll get you a long way. People will be kind and receptive. And nowadays, particularly the younger generation, is very in, in tune with Google Translate. So they'll, if they, they'll, they're curious, they want to talk to you and they want to know why you're here and what you're doing. They will pull out Google translate. We were in, we were in Ukraine and we stopped at a motorbike thing that was going on. We thought it looked cool on the RV and these kids just started talking to Will and they just whipped out their Google translate because they wanted to know why we were there because we were the only foreigners there. And it was just this amazing exchange between Google translate. Now, obviously it is not as impactful when you can communicate, you know, using your words instead of the phone, but it's better than nothing. And people are really, really receptive when you try to communicate with them in their native language. I mean, you, you're also starting to realize, and it's, you know, for good or for bad, but uh, that there is a universal language being yeah. adopted around the world and it is English. Yeah. You know, and the time will come where, you know, that the, everyone will have learned essentially two languages, English and whatever their, their mother tongue is. You know, I, 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 I don't know where that would evolve to eventually sort of, but I, I kind of like the idea of having to struggle because it makes the, the, the experience more unique, yeah. but you know, it, it, it is quite helpful. It's struggle. And it's kind of funny. Like you think you're ordering something at a restaurant and you think you understand it. And then it comes out and you're like, oh, wow. And that's half cooked and I don't want to eat it. And that's how they do. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of fun and interesting things that come out of not understanding the language, you know, and you have some kind of funny laughs. Like there's a word, I can't even remember what it means now. I, I've, I did know, but there's a word that's on all the buildings here. It's tampon. Well, it's clearly not a tampon. I forget what it, do you remember what it means, no but every time I walk by the kids get a little laugh, I get a little laugh. Like it's, it's, it's fun to kind of understand And Now that our kids can make jokes in other languages, you know, it's, it's really fun to kind of learn another language. I think we're huge language people and we've really encouraged our kids to learn a language from a young age. So I guess if I was, if someone was listening and asking kind of questions about that, I would say find a way to get your kids to learn a language early on in life. It's much easier before they hit puberty. Yeah. The, the accent is more authentic and it opens up so many doors for them to meet people all over the world. Yeah. It's one of the best decisions we made with our children. That's cool. Um, so we touched a little bit on kind of jobs and income, but, um, I'm curious, have you, how have you adapted and, and figured out, you know, how to make money while, while traveling? Well, there's, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's an ever evolving question. Sure. There's the pre COVID answer. And then there's the COVID answer, right? Okay. Right. When Will and I started out, like he said, he didn't have, he left corporate America and we had my graphic design business. And we could not survive on that solely in the United States, but outside the United States, we had lowered our, our bills by 75% and we could survive on my income in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And long story short, several months into the game, his old company called him back and said, Hey, we'll let you work remote. We're going to give you what you asked for now. And yeah. that was really good to us for about three years. Um, we had a very comfortable income from the combination of the, both of our incomes. And it was really lovely. But eventually um, they said, okay, we need all outside personnel to come back into the office. And, and they yeah. were, and, and they weren't exactly being that hard nosed about it. They said that, you know, I can move to an office in, in the UK, Yeah, but that would require going back to an office. And, and it, it required, you know, we had like big plans already scheduled for, for us going to the RV and sort of doing our, our, our trip, you know, 52 countries and however long well, it took. And, and essentially we realized that we've gone this far and, 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 you know, we're not turning back now. There was no going back and there is no going back for us. 
unless something you know catastrophic happens we, we can't we talk about this quite often we, we cannot go back and we will do whatever it takes to not go back the only reason we would go back to that other life is if one of the kids desired it and at this point neither one of them have so will and i will had to make a decision it was like a three-minute conversation between us and then we got the kids involved and no one wanted him to go back into an office working long hours you know living in london none of us wanted that so i was getting ready to start world towning and he joined me in that so world towning is is a consulting business that we have and we consult with people on all the logistics of full-time travel mm -hmm. that was a huge suck of our time um, sifting through just a lot of junk online and we wanted to, when we started out we wanted to streamline the process for people mm -hmm. a year into that business we also started offering group trips travel group trips in the style of travel that we do, which is really deep immersion into the culture and the people and less on the tourist track. Uh, and we were just starting to kind of see an income from that. We had been living off savings and we had been very good about saving money and living very frugal. And all of the hard work that we had put in was really starting to pay off. And we were both doing something that we really loved and believed in. And then COVID hit. So. <laughs> and all the while, so, I mean, all the while we've, we've also been sort of sharing our experiences via via YouTube as well. So, you know, we 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 were always producing sort of content that that showed where we are, you know, on Instagram yeah. we always shared the story. So, it was all sort of just one complete sort of compendium of information that showed what it's like to live this this life that was, you know, that can be a Yeah, I mean, all the people that have gone on the group trips with us found us through YouTube. Um and they said, you know, I want to travel like that and that's why I want to go with you on the trip. So, COVID hit. We tightened the belt. We had money in savings. We paused our business. We were in, in Japan at the time, going to be traveling around Asia for a year. We came back to France. We have long stay visas and we have been living as frugal as possible since then. It has not been easy, but Will and I, again, had a conversation of, do we go back? Do we go back to the US for a year or two? And we just we didn't think it was in the best interest of anyone in our family. Everyone thrives and does really well in this lifestyle. And if it's working, why, you know, if it, if, what's that saying? If it, if it ain't broken, don't fix it or something like that. If it ain't broke by a boat. You know, so in the meantime, <laughs> our kids are like, what are we going to do? We're not people that can really just kind of sit around and wait for COVID to end. We got to have a project or something. So we entertained getting like a, a ruin here and, you know, kind of a rundown house and fixing it up. And then this boat came across our path and we decided that maybe it was a good idea to accelerate. We, we always wanted to be on a boat, kind of the end game, but maybe accelerate that dream and learn how to sail during COVID times since we are locked down and we're pretty severely locked down here in France. So that is what we have been doing for the last seven months. And in the meantime, we have relaunched our group trips and our first group trip back in the game will be in October. And then we have a whole bunch of trips for 2022. Nice. You know, pending the vaccine rolls out and COVID gets under control and stuff. So that's kind of, you know, the shortest version of the income I can give you. But, but also we live very simple. We've, we've always saved money. We do have rental property that we invested in in our 30s. So it's not a huge amount of income, but it's a little bit extra. And we do make a little bit of money off our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have our hands in a bunch of different little bit here, little bit there. We definitely make less money than we did when we were living in the United States, but our expenses are less and our happiness level is much higher. So <laughs> did I sum that up pretty good? And, until we bought a boat. Until yeah. we bought a boat. <laughs> and, and then the cost just went. Right. Yeah, boats are expensive. Right. Well, so, they say that the two happiest days of boat ownership are the day that you buy the boat and the day that you sell the boat. Right. 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 We're, not, we're not looking forward to that day, the day you sell it yet. But, but, yeah. but we know that sort of, in fact, we, our, our, our thought process is that um, this is, this is our retirement home. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's easy to say because when we bought you know, our we're house. We're pretty far from retirement. I don't right. see us officially retiring because we like what we do, but Will makes that joke that this is the retirement. But home. we, when we bought our house, um, we moved to to Massachusetts after the first expat package fell. We're like, that's it. We're done. We're moving to suburbia, and we're, we're going to live here for the next twenty years. And we bought the house, and we thought this was this is going to be our life forever. And and yep. you know, it's it's funny how sort of life has a way. Of Will had the speakers you, put wrong. in the ceiling, and yeah, that he was going to grow old there, and the travel yep. bug was still there. Yep. Where in Massachusetts were you? 
we were in Milton for the first uh, four years. So it's a suburb just outside of Boston. Okay. Um, we, okay. We were there for about four years, four years ish. And then we moved to Cambridge for the last year and a half. Well, we were there, we were in Mass for like seven years. Yeah. So, yeah. So, probably about five and a half years in Milton and then a year and a half in, in Cambridge, Mass. Do you miss winter? <laughs> no. We just went through it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. France yeah, they is, do have is, winter in France. Turns yeah, out, they, yeah, they do. They, the and, South is pretty cold. Yeah, and, and when okay. winter is is around you and also underneath you because you're, you're sitting on, on the on the water, it's, it's cold. It, it's it's like it's like three sixty degree immersion. It, it's yeah. it's kind of and the boat heats, real. but it just doesn't heat well. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Will oh, through the winter when I woke up and there was like ice frozen on the window. I said, "That's it." I, I know I said this before when we went to Asia that I wasn't coming back to the cold, but COVID hit. That's it. I don't want to be in the cold anymore. I want to get the hell out of the cold and I want to go where it's warm. I'm so over it. Yeah. And I grew up in Maine. So I'm just like, I've had enough cold. That's it. Yeah. Well, we just, uh, you know, it became spring here briefly, but, but for those of you who have lived in the Northeast, you know that these March days are a tease and it can go right back to being winter in April. Yeah. It might snow tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, <laughs> as a skier, I would be okay with that. But um, for most of us, we're not, we're not into that. Right. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tiny house decisions, my signature guide and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is a is a pre-built shell a good idea? Is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans, different types of trailers and more. Uh, then in, the, in part two, we get into the system. So heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, we talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, It's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of tiny house decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for tiny house decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Do you, I, I just on the, on the money front, I just, um, if you're willing to share, um, do you kind of have like a, um, a budget, like, you know, what, what it costs you per day? Or do you, I don't know if you get down that granularly or do you kind of go by the month or? We don't, so we don't get that granularly, but up until the boat, because the boat we haven't, the boat, we haven't quite figured out our monthly yeah. expenses yet because we spent six months on a dock in lockdown and occasionally going out to learn to sail. So I can't speak for boat life, but the first six years before that, we were about 2,500 US dollars a month. For the four of us. Wow. That, for four of us. But that Amazing. did not include education or business expenses. Mm-hmm. So the education aspect, because we're huge into education, I, we never factor that into our budget. We're telling people how much we live on just because some people buy, you know, $50 workbooks and that lasts them, you know, the whole school year and other people are spending 20,000 a year while they're out here educating. Wow. We're, you know, we're, we're, I think we're probably about 10,000 a year, Around would you say? 10,000 a year on education expenses um, between the two kids. Okay. So I think 2,500 and, and that, that 2,500 has been pretty consistent in the sense that when we lived in Costa Rica, Ecuador and France, we lived in each one of those countries for just under a month in an apartment, but then we were in the RV for just under three years and we still were able to maintain kind of that, that amount of money each it's month. It's interesting because Costa Rica and Ecuador 
and France were the least expensive years for education because we got to take advantage. Well, I want to say take advantage, but in France, we were in the public system there, yeah. and which, you know, that was free. And then in Costa Rica, we, for our son, who was in the traditional school, he was, his school payment was like $300 a month. So, and that was for a private school. Yeah. So, you know, that, that by comparison to what we're paying now for, you know, for programs is, is by far less. Yeah. And Ecuador was along the same lines as well. And also what we do, kind of, we keep this as our budget and then we have to make compromises along the way. Like people are like, you spent the same amount living in Costa Rica and Ecuador as you did the South of France. Well, in Costa Rica, we had a car and in Ecuador, in France, we didn't have a car. So we took public transportation or we walked everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then we had different size apartments in different areas. So we have to, we've always had to been willing to compromise how we live and how we, um, our transportation in order to stay within that budget. And we're pretty, we're pretty good at that. Except for um, we have a special carve out budget for cheese here. That's, for cheese. That's, that's, <laughs> kind of, that's kind of our weakness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think that's a pretty reasonable budget. Now we have met people along the way that are getting by on a thousand a month. And it's just two of them, yeah. like a mom and a son, a single mom and a son. And then we've met people along the way that cannot survive. On, they, they claim they can't survive on less than 10,000 a month. So it varies. You know, we don't obviously we don't have gym memberships. We don't go to Starbucks. We don't um, we don't spend a lot on, on beauty. We walk or it, we're everywhere we can or we take the bus. I mean, obviously, this is all kind of, you know, pre, pre-boat. But like I said, we haven't really kind of got a hang on that yet. Yeah, but I think we'll be able to stay pretty much in the same area as outside of boat repair. It's, it's almost impossible to to assess what boat life is going to be because we are. I know that people always say that boat life is just doing repairs in exotic locations, which <laughs> may or may not be true. But at this point, we're still outfitting the boat so that we can take off because our, our goal is to go around the world. Yeah, and the, from the moment that we got it until now, we've been sort of chipping away at things to make the boat ready to sort of take off and never have to go back. So, you know, there's been a lot of upgrades and, and just costs that we've been incurring just, just on that front, not necessarily just like common maintenance type stuff, which if we're, if we're good and we sort of we're on top of our boat jobs, um, hopefully those are few and far between. Right. Like you're not replacing solar panels every year. Right. You're not getting an EPIRB every year. You know, that kind of stuff are one-offs or, and replaced not so frequently and, and repaired on your own. So I think we'll be able to stay within the budget. Frankly, I'd like to have an even lower budget. We're always kind of fi- trying to find ways to get our costs down. And, and our biggest, like I said, our biggest expense is education. So we won't, I mean, we found less expensive ways to do things, but we won't sacrifice certain things in the education because we're, we're big on education. And that, that's not just necessarily the traditional aspect, but it's also what we do out in the world and what we expose them to and what they learn, which has not been too much during COVID because we're, in a lockdown here in France, but outside of that, we'll take a cooking class or maybe we'll go on a hike and sleep at the top of a mountain in a hut where we have to pay, you know, 10 bucks a person or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we never, we never kind of, we, we, we don't do extravagant things when we're learning out in the world, but we also, we do have to spend a little bit of money to do that as well. Got it. I'm curious, you know, what are some things that, you know, I guess that I haven't asked you or that when people, you know, when you tell somebody that you're living this lifestyle, they probably, you probably get the same questions, but like, what's something that people don't ask you that you're like, this is actually really important. Do you, do you want, I've got one, but I'll let you go. Cause you haven't talked to You can, you can both do one. You can do two. Uh, it's more so of, I mean, there, there's the question of, there's easy the question of, would you do it again? Okay. And, and, and that is not the question that everyone asks. Usually everyone says, must be nice. <laughs> and, yeah. Where did you, know, you get all that money? Right. Without sort of understanding that, that there are struggles and everything else. But, you know, would you, do it, would you do it again? And it sort of goes back to the whole concept that when, when I was working for, for my old employer, even though we were traveling and they wanted me to go back to the office, you know, we had, we had to make a choice at that point, whether to continue to live you know, away from our homeland, but still sort of in, in sort of the system, meaning like having an office and so forth and so on, or, you know, taking a gamble on life and seeing what, what life would sort of come and bring to us. And, and, you know, at that point, we, we knew pretty much the answer was let's, let's move forward. But even that being said, going back from sort of even today going, 
okay, now you've taken this massive risk. You've gone through COVID. You've basically lost primarily most of your income because <laughs> of you know the the like you know the industry that we're in. Uh, would we still do it again? And, Absolutely. And the answer is is yeah. You know, I, yeah. I just I think that we have evolved without sounding too pretentious. I think <laughs> I think we have evolved enough to uh, to make it sound to to realize that you know we we don't want what we had before. You know yeah. what we had before was. It wasn't bad. We but liked it, it. But it wasn't necessarily a life dictated by by our own, you know, wants, needs, desires. Yeah. You know, our wants, needs, and desires were once upon a time dictated by what sort of the masses were also wanting, needing, and desiring. And now it's more so based on what we want, what what real what we really desire, which is, I mean, freedom is such a such an arbitrary word. You know, it, but it is true. But but it, it really is. You know, the ability to go ahead and 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 give value that you think that the world really wants and that is sort of i guess an awakening that is you know to understand that they can, they can do more than just you know what the program to do i think will and i we have this compulsion and i i don't know why but i guess i don't know because we love people and we we realize we hit a good thing here we have this compulsion to really share this lifestyle with people and so i'm going to kind of go along and i don't want to i don't want i don't want it to take a negative turn but i think it's really easy to glamorize this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I wish more people would ask us about the hard parts. They're starting to. I feel like there's a swing on social media where people are starting to ask that kind of stuff. And it's almost kind of, you know, hip to share your struggles because everyone wants to see someone struggling these days. We haven't been asked that a lot. And I, I think it's really important because what we see on social media of people traveling full time is often Instagram worthy and not the reality of it. And there, there are two things that we tell our clients and, and they, they really, they don't like this, but it's the truth. <laughs> it scares them a little bit. If you want to live like this and you're not rich, you have to be willing to struggle and you have to be willing to be an unknown. And when I say struggle, I mean, the highs are going to be higher than you could have ever imagined in your life, but the lows are going to be really low. And you're going to have to dust yourself off and put on your big girl, big boy panties and bring it and make it happen and continue to work hard if you want it. And people don't always want to hear that. But if it was that hard or that bad, we still would or not worth it. We wouldn't be out here. And I think it's really important for people to hear the the darker side of it um, so that they don't go into it with these kind of rose colored glasses. And the other aspect is you have to be willing to be an unknown. You know, when, when you live a traditional stationary life, it is quite possible with most people that you, you, if you go to your coffee shop, they know you, you know, your mailman, you know, um, you know, your neighbor. And that, that's quite comforting. And I do think that sometimes I do miss that, that familiarity. That just doesn't happen out here as a full-time traveler. If you decide to spend, you know, a considerable amount of time in one spot, like maybe six months, then you'll get to that point. But if that's something that's really important to you and you thrive on that, it just doesn't happen out here. It only happens if you decide to stop traveling and then you know, you're not traveling anymore. You have the stationary life again. And I think a lot of people get lonely out here because they're not prepared for that part of it. So right. You have to be ready to be not as some, something to somebody. You have to be a something to yourself. Yeah. And, and I mean, the way I, I sort of analogize this is that, you know, for us, we'll, we'll spend a month in a place. We'll spend two months in a place, whatever, you know, up to a year in a place. And, and every now and then, you know, every, you, you develop a routine everywhere you go. And, you know, for us, we'll, we'll find a coffee shop that we like to hang out at, yeah. you know, whether it's to, to get work done or just because we just like their, their style. And by the time that we're ready to go, like we always walk about, we always walk by and say, okay, we're leaving now. And for, for, for them, either they're very kind to say, oh, we're going to miss you or they're like, okay, see you. And we're like, well, where's the last free coffee? <laughs> like, I want to know that I, I touched you. <laughs> no. You want your going away present? I want to go away present. And, 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 you know, for them, it's like, you know, just another guy coming back and forth. And, you know, you have to be willing to sort of realize that that's just life, you yeah. know? And, and it's not, it's not, it's not you. It's not them. It's just sort of, you, you just need to be in touch with the fact that, you know, you had your time there and now it's time to do something different and it's cool. I think just one more thing I want to add, because I, I, could, I could talk about this all night. People make the assumption that children and travel, that they're not okay and that they're suffering and that they're suffering socially. I can tell you right now, my kids are suffering socially because of COVID, right. not because of travel. 
our travel life was so full of social um, because we've been at this for so long, we would meet other travelers we'd met in different countries up on the road. Travelers we'd met traveling had gone back to stationary lives and we'd be passing through in our RV and we'd stay for the night. Uh, we run group trips. We're incredibly social with people we don't know and we meet and we start talking and we have people over for dinner and, and the kids are the same way. This life is, I can't speak for every child out there because every child is different. This lifestyle has been a huge, huge I don't, I don't know what the right word is. Blessing, I guess, for mm -hmm. our kids. They have really enjoyed it incredibly. And we talk about it a lot as a family. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. This is our life. You know, we always talk about, do you want to go back? Are you unhappy? And they're like, no, no, it's fine. But they don't, I don't think they really knew the magnitude of it because they've lived this for so long. It's their normal. Yeah. Until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, and France has been pretty extreme, we've been locked down since October. So they both have said, wow. I, I can't tell you how much I miss travel and people, and I don't think I can ever live a stationary life. Da, 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 da. So, so for anyone listening who thinks their kids aren't going to be okay, obviously every kid's different and it's really dependent on the age you leave. If you take them out of their normal at age 16, you're probably going to struggle. And when you say lockdown, it's not, I mean, cause it, it's almost like arbitrary to where you are, but for us lockdown and lockdown at a Marina where there's no one to start with, right? you know, it, 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 it just winter. amplifies it. So, <laughs> In winter. Yeah. 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 So, so wow. either way it's, it was, it's, we've been pretty isolated and the only people that we can hang out with are the people who repair the boat. So we've done a lot of repairs. Yeah, <laughs> we've broken things up. First. So anyway, the kids will be OK. That's that's the, kind of the point that I think we don't give kids enough credit of how how resilient they are and how excited they are and interested in learning and exploring because we're looking at it from an older person's mindset, you know, and starting yeah. over and whatnot. So just I think that's just really important to kind of add that, you know, the kids will be OK. They will. Nice. That's that's great. I thank you for bringing up the, the topic of struggles, because like. I also, you know, the, the same kind of thing happens in the tiny house world. It's it's either the extremes. It's like family builds tiny house for $10,000, which is totally unrealistic and like gets out of debt. It's like either all rainbows and sparkles or it's like, why tiny house living is terrible. Like why, you know, like <laughs> it's just either all or nothing. So it's, it's great to hear, you know, the balanced, um, nuanced reflection of your lifestyle which you know that's real life it's like it's great sometimes and it sucks other times yeah that's that that is that's the reality of it and it, if it if it really sucked that much we wouldn't be out here yeah right because we don't want we don't want to torture ourselves right you know i mean we, we want to enjoy our life mm -hmm. yeah and uh you know it sounds like it sounds like you are so congratulations on that thanks thank you <laughs> One thing that I like to ask all my guests is, you know, what are, what are two or three resources, um, that you recommend? They could be your own resources, but, um, you know, what are some things you recommend for people who are looking to get started, you know, in a full-time kind of travel lifestyle? To be honest for, for me, it's, it's podcasts. I think yeah, that, you listen to a ton of podcasts. I, that, that, <clears throat> there's one one thing is video yeah, and, and video, but video for me is because I, I'm, you know, I do video. I, I, we do our own vlog, yeah. but video is kind of edited, you know, because you can't just yeah. sit there and, 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 Talk and spew <laughs> what's going on. Right. You, right. you have to be very, very dynamic to make that work out on video, you know? So it's always sort of about where you are, what you're seeing. So you get to see sort of that side, the colorful side, you know, the, the, what it almost, everything to the, to the extent of what it is, except for the smells, which is fantastic. But for me, the podcast is everything because then you can sort of really dig into a topic and you can really get into what someone really feels about. And about get into their head. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, yeah. I would highly recommend um, digging we into podcasts. We love podcasts. I mean, we, and we love, cause, because we also love sharing on podcasts because we feel like we can get to the the deeper side of it. Yeah. We um, want our own podcast. To, to <laughs> but we, yeah, we just don't have time. That's yeah. We just haven't project. had the time yet. Right. I know yeah, it's on the list. Um, yeah. I'm going to kind of curtail off that and say that my big thing with a resource would be find the people that are doing what you are doing, mm -hmm. really investigate if they actually are doing what they're saying they're doing and then study them and, and send them emails and ask them questions. The worst they can say is no, Mm -hmm. or you have to pay me, or they just don't return your email. We get tons of emails. Uh, we don't, I, I can't get to every comment on social media, but I do respond to every email that we get. 
that has a question about this lifestyle. And I think it's important to not listen to Aunt Susie who went to, you know, I don't know, Peru once and got mugged and how awful travel is. Yeah. It's to listen to those who are doing it and not necessarily those who did it 10 years ago in a back living stationary life because things have changed. The people that are doing it right now and what they're doing and how they're doing and pick their brains and study them. And none of that, but I mean, there, you just mentioned for a moment, and this is something that we do, and I'm not going to sort of self-plug it, but I guess I am. But, you know, in terms of like when you said to pay somebody, there is there are so many mistakes that I would have rather paid someone an hour to go ahead and walk me through how to get this right, as opposed to, you know, nights and weeks of heartache because, oh my gosh, what did we just get ourselves into? You yeah. know, it, it's, yeah. not, it's not, people are out there and, and, you know, call them experts, call them, you know, just tried and true, call them that, you know, just been out there for a while, but, but they, you know, if, if they've been doing what you're doing and, and they value their time that they think that it's worth the money, you know, give someone, you know, a little bit just to sort of make your life that so much easier. It's just like anything else. It is, it is, it is a service that, that can be value ridden. Like there's no tomorrow because I know for us in the RV, we would have, I would have paid someone, you know, hundreds of dollars to help me figure out how to certain things. things. Right. And we learned a lesson with that, with sailing. And obviously there are plenty of people hacking, learning to sail, but we hired an instructor and we really worked with him. And it was to our benefit to do that. It made the process go a lot easier. And, and we felt kind of better about this because it's completely foreign to us. Like, like going off and traveling is very foreign to some people. And you're going to get advice from people who have just visited a place and haven't necessarily traveled full-time because everyone's got an opinion about travel when they haven't traveled full-time about what it's going to do to your kids and what it's going to do to your finances and you're ruining your career mm-hmm. and la, 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 la. You know, we've heard it all. So I think just finding those people who are doing what you want to do and studying and pick their brain is, is, is a great, great resource. Awesome. Well, um, where can people find you? We, go ahead. Yeah, no, go I was ahead. Saying, we are, we are world towning on everything. Okay. We're not always active on everything like Twitter, but, but we're out there. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, yeah, we have we, nice. we even have like a Snapchat account. We never use it. Yeah. But, so we're world towning on all social media. We're most active on YouTube where we release weekly videos about our travels on Fridays. Okay. And then on Instagram where we um, we, we share the daily in and outs of, of whatever adventure we're in, which is currently learning to sail. Awesome. And those are the two we're the most active in. Awesome. Well, also, um, you were kind enough to share a ton of really awesome pictures with me. And so I'll link to all your stuff and um, put up some of my favorite pictures at thetinyhouse.net slash 158. This will be episode 158. So thetinyhouse.net slash 158 when this is live, where you can go to get all the details about Jessica and Will Suero. Jessica and Will, thank you so much for being guests on the show today. This was, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having us. Nowadays, this is the best social we've had in, in a long time. So thank you for, <laughs> okay. for having us. Thank you so much to Jessica and Will Suero for being guests on the show today. They sent me so many amazing pictures from their adventures, and you can find some of my favorites at thetinyhouse.net slash 158. There you will also find the show notes for today's episode and a full transcript. So again, that is thetinyhouse.net slash 158. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.